Let's take a mathematician, one who is interested in making and breaking codes as a student. Then he heard that quantum computing could be used to break codes. No surprise, this piqued his interest, and he actually started the Institute for Quantum Computing back in 2002. Yes, that's 2002. Today, I'll be talking with Michaela Mosca, CEO of Evolution Q. Started back in 2015, Evolution Q helps organizations work through all the various stages of getting ready to be secure in the era of quantum technology. Evolution Q partnered with the Global Risk Institute back in 2017 and published a methodology for quantum risk assessment. And most recently, they actually published a quantum threat timeline. We'll put some links in the show notes because after this podcast, you're going to want to do some light reading. Remember, it's not an if, but a when as to when quantum computing successfully breaks encryption. I'm John Pryle, and welcome to Georgian's Impact Podcast. Michaela, welcome. Let me start with a key takeaway from the report that I referenced in the introduction. What I liked about it was that you could help people assess risks, and they looked at a few key factors. And as I read it, and being they were still living in a little bit of COVID world, there were factors in COVID, masks, distance, indoor, outdoor, vaccine. But you also had key parameters in risks in terms of shelf time and migration time yeah. and threat. I wonder if you take me through how you looked at the critical kind of factors that you looked at when you're helping people assess risk. There's three basic factors. The first one is you have to look at all your different information assets and ask, what's the shelf life of this information? Some information is pretty ephemeral. I only need it to be secure for a few seconds or days. Others, five years. Others, 10 years. So that's, that's a business or regulatory requirement. So you assess the X, the shelf life, across all your different information assets. The second thing you have to understand is how long would it take me, how long will it take me to migrate the tools I use to protect that information to be secure against this known emerging threat? Like we know it's going to be broken. We know we have to change at some point. And how long will it take us to do it? Because you can't do this overnight. This is not a Tuesday update. So it's Y years. Y could be five years or 20 years, depending on a number of parameters. So X, you know, is a decision. Y is something we kind of control. And then there's Z. What's the collapse time? What's the threat timeline? When will adversaries get their hands on computers and be able to exploit, compromise that information and the systems protecting that information? So those three parameters work in the following way. For the next Y years, you're stuck with the quantum vulnerable tools. And you can't fast track this. If you try to go faster than the speed limit, you're going to make other very, very costly mistakes. Things will just break because of bad quality assurance. You'll make mistakes that hackers can exploit without a quantum computer. So what I, what's interesting is I'm listening. It's like, okay, we've got time. Well, if it's five years out, starting today may already be too late. So this is really quite an endeavor that most CISOs should start thinking about. Oh yeah, they should already have started. Uh, and if they haven't, I mean, there's still, well, look, you know, the ship has sailed in some cases in terms of past information being recorded for future exploitation, but you can at least start reducing those damages. Uh, and even greater risk is that uh, systems just aren't ready in time. You already have to be on that four stage journey to quantum readiness. The first step is understand what is this? What is quantum computing? Where is it in the technology lifecycle? What can it do? And secondly, what does it mean to me? So those quantum risk assessments, yep. those kind of need to be done. If, not, if they're not already done, they really need to be done in the next 12 months or so, I would say. 
once you've prioritized your risks and you kind of know how much time you have or don't have, then you, you get into the planning and testing and, and, and eventually migration phase. I do want to ask a question, and I'm going to right after this get deeper into actually quantum itself and kind of talk about your first question. What's your sense of the level of awareness of people, and I'm talking about end users and maybe even the degree within the IT and the technology shops of how much cryptography is already out there. I mean, people naively saw HTTP go to HTTPS or they use Signal knowing it might be encrypted. Do they have a sense of how much encryption is already out there and, and is it good enough at the moment? Quantum is really highlighting an already existing existential threat that needs to be addressed. Uh, but we're not addressing it because, well, it ain't broke now. <laughs> if, it, if it's ever broken, uh, you know, it may be an unrecoverable event. So I would say people are generally aware there's cryptography here and there. And the only reason they're secure, if you go down to the bottom, is because we have strong cryptography protecting everything. We're talking about a re-architect. And it's just years and years to do a property. So we definitely, it is a massive undertaking. People look for analogies, and there is no perfect analogy. There's some aspects where it's like Y2K, but not others. There's right. some aspects where it's like V4 to v IPv4 to IPv6. Interesting. Bottom, yeah, right? I did think through some of those. And I, in my notes here, I was going to, but I don't need, I was going to bring up Y2K. And I was thinking about people put locks on their door because, and it makes them feel better and it stops the random person from trying your door now. But if someone seriously wants to hack you, they're going to hack you. And what you yeah. just talked about at it being some architectural level changes, this is quite broad. This is, this is significant that people do need to pay attention to. I think we were aware of Y2K because there was an impending, your Z was clear. Yeah. The timeline yeah. was clear. I'm not sure everybody needed to panic as much, but good work was done to prevent it. Yeah, there was, you know, there was no adversary either. Mm -hmm. Number one, so there's many differences. And one is part, we knew the date. There's no adversary. It was just this code that was embedded and we didn't know where it was. That's one problem with what we have is most people don't even know where their cryptography is. But now there's an active adversary and the fix is so much more complicated. And lastly, we're much more dependent on IT infrastructure now than we were in 2000. So let's talk a bit about the, your view of the quantum computing industry today. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I will hear the word qubits, but it, it's much more than that, obviously. <laughs> Not yeah. about just the density. Go ahead. Talk to me about quantum, where you see the industry in the short term, uh, and what do you think is going to happen as kind of the next few big things that will be coming down the pike? Using conventional platforms, whether they're supercomputers, you would need more atoms than in the known universe mm. to describe the state of a you know, several hundred qubit quantum bit computer so that means lurking within quantum reality there's this exponential power we previously didn't know existed and the aim of quantum computing is to build devices that capture that power now is it good for everything no i'm not nobody we're not saying a few hundred qubits can do everything the world supercomputers can do no no but certain tasks we just don't want to do it at all without more you know computing power than in the known universe so what are those useful problems Quantum computers are really good at simulating themselves, mm-hmm. right? And then people say, okay, but like, why would I want to do that? So then we're on the quest for figuring out what other useful things can we do. This fascinates, but also troubles me a bit because you know there are problems that can be solved with this technology, but you're also thinking about what's the most important ones that could be. How should people think about this? You're a business person or you're you're in charge of the, you know, the economy and economic resilience of your country or your bank. The point is quantum computational advantage 
when you ask what does it mean to sector X or to product Y, um, it can go from no impact that we know of to mm. transformational game changer overnight. That's a pretty strong statement. What's your best example? In 1994, we didn't know the public key cryptography that is ubiquitous now almost today. We had no, no idea how this weird quantum computing thing that hadn't been built yet could impact it. And then suddenly, Peter Shore at AT&T Bell Labs said, actually, completely decimates these algorithms. Doesn't just weaken them, just crushes them, right? So that was one problem where we know there's this astronomical uh, advantage. Fortunately, for human civilization, we didn't have quantum computers then. So we've mm. had a few decades to get ready. But that same sort of no idea to, oh, yeah, transformational, that could happen anywhere else. Is it going to happen everywhere else? Probably not. But is it going to happen anywhere else? Absolutely. So where is this impact going to happen? And we have some ideas of where it's going to happen, like things that are intrinsically quantum mechanical in nature, like designing a new material with superconducting properties at a high temperature or other properties. It's hard to design these things because mm -hmm. you can't simulate. Obviously, you can't, you can't synthesize a trillion different materials and see how they work. So a quantum computer can be good at simulating the behavior of, of these hypothetical materials we might want to synthesize and use. So you can simulate many, many of them in software before deciding which ones you want to synthesize in practice. So we think it can really help with uh, material design, for example, or maybe drug design. So there are lots coming down the pike. Where are we now? So I think we're really entering a new era. So 25 years ago, when I started and the subsequent 15, 20 years and so on, I started working about 10 years ago on how can we, what kind of software tools do we need to build and operate quantum computers? And now we've reached a point where we can kind of stitch together the full stack. You know, it's going to keep getting better. Like we're not done and not just go buy it on, on, on you know, online or something, but we can stitch together the whole stack. We have applications we can compile down to run on, on the actual hardware. As the yeah. layers appear, are you personally hardware agnostic? It doesn't matter to you what the hardware technology might be, all the different types of quantum tech there is under underlying it all? Any one of these is successful. Of these hardware platforms, it will break RSA and look to all the cryptography, the public key cryptography we use today. Mm -hmm. Now, the software, the quantum software vendors, most of them claim to be independent of the hardware. Some are more tied to various hardware platforms than others, but it, it kind of, it's, it's obviously, it's very hardware dependent at the bottom. As you go further and further up the stack, then it becomes more and more independent of exactly how you choose to implement your qubit. So we've kind of stitched it all together, and we're entering this exciting era where the owners of the real-world problems, like the real owners, the people who you know go to bed at night, wake up in the morning, figuring out, you know, how do we solve this really important? How do we design better materials, better OLEDs, better drugs? And they know their computational challenges, and they're working with people who understand what quantum computers can do. And this is sort of a really important moment for the field because now we can start better understanding where quantum computational advantage might have impact in the real world mm -hmm. and how profound will that impact be. And conversely, people working in quantum computing, quantum algorithms are better understand the challenge problems. Sure. And we didn't have this 20 years ago, not nearly to the extent that we did now. Like there's one example of you know, simulating certain uh, chemical processes that colleague at Sherbrooke and Microsoft, the first academic results said, hey, look, this will only take a billion years 
on a quantum computer, which is far less than what it would take on a classical computer, right? And people, I mean, I think practical people thought, this is this a joke? And of course, we knew, like, no, no, like, hold on tight, right? And now it's down to days or minutes, right? So they just continually optimize that. Right. They found, right. They found that the target, you know, problem where it, it, it could apply, and then we're really good at figuring out ways to make that more efficient. It's funny. It's the antithesis of Bill Gates saying we don't need ever need more than sixty four k for for running an application. It's going yeah. the other way now. We have a lot, yeah. and I'll try to shrink it down. We, we've yeah. we've yeah. changed our our direction here. It's very funny. <laughs> yeah, well, because we want to reap the advantage sooner rather than later. So on the sooner side, right now, where is quantum and encryption? In the short term, we're not using quantum computers for encryption. We use quantum cryptography for encryption. Yeah, that's been commercially available for 20 years, mm -hmm. uh, and that's starting to take off. In fact, that's that's kind of the first product Evolution Q has developed is to turn these point-to-point -point quantum key distribution solutions, which send single qubits at a time, so it's not complicated computations. How to turn it into a scalable, globally deployed product that enterprises can design in. I want to dig into that a little bit because you just said something that was really interesting to me. You talked about at some point, PKI will, will be broken. And as I was prepping for this, I was thinking about that evolves to a quantum key delivery. And you said that's not quantum computing and you're sending a qubit. And I think if you could explain that a little more, that will be really important, I think, for yeah. us. Yeah, so the threat, in quote, so we're excited about it as a community because quantum can do all sorts of great things for humanity. However, the one thing we know it will do for sure is decimate, you know, the global economy, right? Decimate our <laughs> oh, digital only infrastructure. That, <laughs> so apart from that, it's a great thing. So obviously we need to neutralize that one well-defined threat. And then once we've done that, honestly, we can treat it like any other sort of HPC with all sorts of great opportunities. So we have mm -hmm. to neutralize that one sort of Achilles heel right now which we know how to do. So how do we do it? Very importantly, you don't need a quantum computer to defend against the quantum computer. Mm -hmm. So I would say the, the, the first line of defense doesn't need quantum anything. And I've worked a lot in this area. Some people call it post-quantum cryptography. These are regular, they're kind of like the algorithms we have today. But if you look under the hood, the math is different. Mm -hmm. And the performance is different, right? So you got to Make sure it still works on your phone and you know all these other on your smart cards. But at a high level, it's just another math algorithm. In practice, it's a lot more complicated than that. And we're working hard all around the world to deploy standardized, robust, you know, methods that will replace what we have today. So at a high level, it's a plug-in replacement. In practice, mm -hmm. it's a lot more complicated than sure, that. Sure, sure. But that's that's a first layer of defense. It's elegant, it's beautiful. You can deploy it everywhere. You don't need any new technology, but it's a first line of defense. We need and, a second line of defense. Well, for, before I get to the second, just on just yeah. close on that first, most companies who use third-party security providers will have that first line of defense done. For, they may have to do some work, but I don't need IT shops across the world figuring out this next generation of cryptography per se, there will be providers that will just be doing it. I They should be asking their providers, exactly. are you doing this? That's, that, the maybe that's step one, right? They have to ask. And that's a highly non-trivial thing. Mm -hmm. So we need to get you know the, the vendor managers, the procurement managers to start getting more involved and just starting that dialogue before there's a crisis. The best way to solve this is through lifecycle management, a drama-free 
life cycle management, where everyone says, why didn't that catastrophe happen? And we really need to, 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 to take advantage of that. So that kind of wraps up kind of this level one communications awareness, making sure that that piece of infrastructure gets replaced that. Now you're get, now we're going to get to the, the next step of what you're looking for companies to do. Yeah. Now, reestablishing the status quo is not good enough anymore. Mm-hmm. We really need a stronger foundation. But I don't mean replace. I think this first line of defense is great. And it's good enough security for many places. But where you need better security will continue to grow. They'll both continue to grow. Where you need, this is where quantum cryptography can really add value to, to, to society. Because one of the main functions of cryptography is to establish encryption keys. Once you have the encryption keys, then we have good encryption algorithms. Mm-hmm. But how do you establish the keys? Well, public key cryptography is one way, but it's, it's good. It's good for many applications, but not all applications. You can have a, a person with a briefcase manually transport keys you can pre-play. Like, there's a few things you can do, but they're not that easy or scalable. They're fine for well-controlled, modest-sized systems, but they're not so scalable. And QKD is a wonderful tool for establishing symmetric keys through an untrusted medium. QKD Though, is quantum key delivery. Well, is, QKD is quantum key distribution. Distribution, but, sorry. Okay. But, but it's probably not the best term for it. You're not really generating keys and distributing them, you're really mm-hmm. establishing keys. Okay. So it's probably quantum key establishment is maybe a more accurate name, mm-hmm. but we call it QKD. So it's a beautiful process where you don't need a trusted person. You know, you don't need physical security and trust. You don't completely, you always need some physical security and some trust, but you want to minimize that because it's expensive and it's hard to validate. So you want to minimize how much you need to trust and then rely on great mathematics, great cryptography. With quantum cryptography, there's no mathematical assumption. So it's, it's a way to establish a key where you don't have to worry that some smart mathematician figures out how to break the code. And are these keys established using a quantum computer or these are the no. keys that are not, but they're they, it's harder to break with a quantum computer? So you don't need a quantum computer. What you need is a device that can prepare single quantum bits, which mm-hmm. are just light, sending them through regular fiber optic cables mm-hmm. right, and measuring them. So there's some minimal amount of quantum technology, but it's been around for ages. It's not, you know, we're, it's getting better and better, but we've had it for, for decades now. That's so new to me. And I don't know that everybody, I thought I want to just stay on that for a second, yeah. right? Because earlier you talked about sending a quantum bit yeah. and I didn't realize this. So I'm, when, when you, I think about a quantum computer and I'm counting qubits, you're saying this quantum technology, as you said earlier, has been around for a long time. So there can be a quantum bit per se that could go across traditional yeah. fiber lines. And that is yeah. a key element of a new quantum key. And that's a great point. So a bit, like classically, a bit could be anything. It could be a light switch up or down. It could be electromagnetic relay. It could be a vacuum tube. It could be a transistor. It could be a zero and one. You write on a piece of paper, right? They're all bits. But obviously, when we think computers, we're thinking of transistors, right? And similarly, the qubits I was talking about for computing could be all sorts of different superconducting qubits, ions, mm-hmm. and so on. They could also be photons. Actually, they're showing lots of promise. But if you want to communicate a bit, again, you, you could, in theory, put some atoms in a briefcase and carry them. <laughs> but the obvious thing is to send a photon, a particle of light, through fiber, because that's what we always do. Mm-hmm. And you need to prepare special packets of light. But again, we know how to do that through the fiber. And we can encode. There's many ways to encode information in those particles of light. Uh, but quantum cryptography, 
that's been available for over 20 years. And you just buy a box, you put it in a server room. Building it is is, is hard. Of course. I mean, it's built, so, you buy it, you really do install it, plug it in, and, and it runs. So let me just step back a bit. Obviously, you run assessments for your customers. Yeah. What's your biggest takeaway in terms of the market? Are people ready? What What's your sense of... I don't know. You're going to hold me a red flag, a yellow flag. A, what, what, what's your degree of uh, warning to the world here in terms of what you see? I think that depends who you are. Mm -hmm. But if you're a key player in any one of the critical, you know, sectors, it's between orange and red. Wow. It really depends who you are. Now, and why am I saying that? So, the Office of the President of the United States just a few days ago had a directive that said everyone. Within six, everyone in the national security, you know, uh, agencies needs to report within six months where it's using, you know, vulnerable crypto, right? Where it's not using quantum-resistant crypto or certain other approved algorithms. That's a good first step. So it's time for you to talk to me now about Evolution Q. We sort of manually ask people, "Where's your crypto?" That's the least invasive. The tools start to you have to actually install software or monitor actual traffic which is great too. But I mean, so we start with the lightest level of invasiveness and then there's great products that more actively check for stuff you didn't know about. But you already find, you know, a lot of problems with the, the, the crypto we do know about. So you have to find where your crypto is and then you assess what are the key vulnerabilities and then you start mapping out what you do about it. So let's talk a little bit about then trust in terms of, we talked early on a little Y2K in terms of some type of quantum safe migration. Should people be aware of this? How do we ensure everyone still trusts in their systems? I mean, the worst thing that could be happening would be this major hack kind of thing. But I guess what happens if we lose trust? How, how do we ensure we keep people trusting what's happening? That they see the little S yeah. on their HTTP and they feel better or whatever. Yeah. So trust is important and, and trust has to be premised on trustworthiness. Right. And when there's a disconnect, obviously, you, you want to trust the trustworthy. You want to not trust the untrustworthy. Right. So we really need to build trustworthy platforms. Right? And we need our institutions and so on to, to be trustworthy. Because uh, ultimately, you know, it will become apparent uh, if things aren't trustworthy. And it's a big problem. A lot of damage and harm can be done by people simply not trusting the technology or the mm -hmm. institution. If people are just worried that their money is going to evaporate, they're going to panic, right? They're going to start taking their money out, whatever that means these days, right? Digital infrastructures, they'll be fine. We're, we're well along our you know, migration and we're ahead of schedule. We'll have quantum resistant out. If we haven't already deployed them, uh, they'll be deployed well in time before these devices become cryptographically relevant. Right. We need that to be the statement and needs to be coming from everybody. And it needs to be true and validatable. And we're not there yet. I mean, we'll, we'll get there. We're at a point now where organizations need a team of people in-house that can recognize the quantum opportunities today and also be ready to, to respond to the new opportunities that we discover tomorrow. Michaela Masca, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Evolution Q is an interesting story, and this is going to be a space that we'll be watching for a long time. I really appreciate it. The pleasure. Thanks so much.